the World Nomads podcast bonus episode. Hear amazing nomads sharing their knowledge, stories and experience of world travel. Welcome to this episode of the World Nomads podcast in which we feature another amazing nomad. This time it's Marie Javens. Now she's an American comic book editor, comic book colorist and travel writer and she's known for her very long association with Marvel Comics. Does it get any more famous than that as a name? What, Marvel or DC? That's yeah. your only choices really. Exactly. And she talks about the interesting work that she actually did for Marvel Comics in Q8. Uh, one of the reasons that we wanted to speak to her is because in 2001 she went around the world live online, I might point out, by surface transport and then in 2011 she went in the opposite direction by plane. <laughs> for 2021, well, uh, we'll have to wait and see but she does give us a hint in this episode. Well, in 2001, I went around the world primarily by surface transport for a year, live more or less, on the internet um, with people voting things, choices I had to make, voting on them. And then in 2011, I did it again in the opposite direction, but that time I used airplanes. And theoretically, I'm going to do it again. So every 10 years. So 2021 coming up. (laughs) But I don't know how to, like I've done, I've done east to west, west to east. So I'm not sure what's next. Maybe I'll go straight south next time. So by surface transport, what that means is that um, I took cargo ships, you know, container ships across oceans. So for example, I first took a train, an Amtrak train from New York to LA. I was living in New York at the time. And then from LA, I caught a container ship that first stopped in New Zealand and then after going there, I continued on to Melbourne. From Melbourne, I took a train to Adelaide and then went up on the, the bus straight up through the center, eventually leaving from Darwin on a container ship to Dilly. That gives you an idea of how the whole trip went. So it was like 10 days on a ship and then go by bus and taxi train, you know, whatever the local ferry, whatever the local transit. The idea was to go by public transport because you see a great deal more of the world, um, I believe, from public transit. Um, So that was the goal. And also you get a better idea of the size of the world. And I arrived at this conclusion after uh, an intrepid trip. Um, I had been on one of these intrepid group trips to um, Southeast Asia. So I had gone on their Bangkok, Bali to Bangkok, and then I'd done a loop, the Southeast Asia overland loop. And it was fun. And then I went back to my job and I was like, oh, boo, I'm back at work. Uh, And then I thought, there's got to be a better way. So I conceived this ambitious online plan. This was before blogging software. So at the time it was, I will do a website and it will be this ambitious website. You know, Now, of course, everybody has a travel blog um, or at least does it on social media. I figured that I would go as far away as I could on the planet and then I would find my way home without getting on a plane. And I started to research it. And what I quickly discovered was that the opposite side of New York was Australia. (laughs) And once I realized, oh, that's the other side of the world, I realized that I could spend a month going from New York to Australia, because most of that is water, then I could go around the whole world. So that, that plan evolved as it went on. I did not make it around the world without airplanes. There were sticking points. I ran into some issues along the way, but, but I did, I got close. You know, it was not bad. So how do you get yourself on a 
on a freight ship. And I'm guessing, I mean, we're talking about, you know, travelling as an adventurous independent traveller, but, you know, at least you want a little level of luxury. I'm seeing you as a stowaway. <laughs> I, I like that description a lot of me as a stowaway wandering up to some dock down at the, you know, largest container terminal in the U.S. I like that a lot. But, of course, that's not what happens. There are actually travel agents who specialize in putting tourists onto container ships because when, once cargo ships turned into container ships, uh, things became more mechanical and a lot of computerization happened and it takes a lot less crew to run a container ship than it used to to run a cargo ship. Basically, they have a lot of empty cabins and they have discovered that if you um, rent them out to tourists that they, they not only make some money back, but they, they also have some people that their crew can talk to at night over dinner and they, you know, the crew is kind of sick of each other. <laughs> uh, but they can only have a certain number. I think it's up to 10 or something with, before, at which point they have to have a, a ship doctor. I was staying in uh, crew quarters, you know, which is perfectly safe. And it, you know, it sounds like, oh, you're going on a container ship or will there be pirates? And, you know, are, are, can you trust the men? Are they, you know, rugged. Yeah, it's like, no, they're, of course, they're merchant marines. You know, they have strict rules of conduct. It's very safe. So it, it, it was fun. And I was like a princess because I was, you know, like, oh, here's this, you know, at the time I was younger and it was like, there was this young woman prancing around the ship, you know, for three weeks on our way to Australia. So I was like their princess. And that was kind of fun. You know, I saw a lot of, of water that year. I, uh, I'm done with that part. Was there a difference between your experience doing it by surface transport um, to doing it in the reverse by plane? Uh, sure. Yeah. The, the biggest difference was not so much the uh, transit because the, you know, the plane you're, you're done in no time. You're done in 16 hours or whatever. And that, that does mean that you don't have the time to decompress between continents and to really sort of let things settle in. So I did have to build in more downtime. So I, like I stayed in Bali for a month. Um, I stayed in Bangkok for a month, you know, so you do need to build in more downtime. So like I flew from New York to Spain and then I caught a ferry to Africa and then I spent four months going through West Africa. That was exhausting because the, the road, some of the roads, some of the countries, the roads are not that great. And there's a, you know, things take a long time. You know, you do a lot of waiting for buses to fill up and there's a lot of dust. And so that, that sort of, that was a real adventure, you know. After that, I knew I had to rest. So once I got done with that, I flew, that was when I flew off to Bangkok for a month. I was like, all right, I'm going to chill here for a while. <laughs> So how does the blog then, no hurry, sorry to interrupt, but no hurry in Africa, did that come about by visiting? Oh, my blog. Yeah, no, my blog, my, I have a blog which I had bought the name No Hurry in Africa when I was living in Uganda, which was not related to either one of these trips. So um, I've done two round the world trips, but of course there were many other trips and many other occasions of living abroad. In fact, two years on and off in Australia. So in Uganda, I um, was there writing a book. I was there, I think, three or four months. The book was not about Uganda. The, the man I was living with was in Uganda. So we were living in Uganda while I was writing the book. Um, the book was actually about the trip around Africa. So I wanted to be in Africa when I went back and wrote that book. So 2001, the 
the book that I wrote about that was only about the Africa section, Stalking the Wild Dick Dick. And a Dick Dick is an animal. I know it sounds obscene, but that's when I got the No Hurry in Africa name. And it's evolved. As I've gone around, I've I've also bought other names. So No Hurry in, you know, wherever I was. And they all the names No Hurry in Africa still works. You've, you mentioned that you've done lots of travel outside of these world trips. At one point you were living in Kuwait and also Cairo, and you were making comic books. Yeah, I was. That was great. That was great. So at the end of the Uganda, so after Uganda, I sort of did a little loop around Southern Africa, and I had completely run out of money by the end of that year, as one does when one is not fully employed and wandering around the world. I got an email from a friend of mine that I used to work with when I worked at Marvel Comics in New York, and he it was a change of address. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm moving to Kuwait. I got employed by a comic book company. We're going to make comic books, which are rooted in the Muslim paradigm instead of in the the Western sort of themes, which is what most superheroes are. And uh, hey, if anyone wants to come on over and help, let me know. And I was like, sign me up. So I went to Kuwait and I was the editor-in-chief of this Kuwaiti comic book from 2006 to 2013. And I was in Kuwait only the first maybe three to six months. And then after that, I was doing it from my laptop wherever I was. One of those years, I did spend at their Cairo office running the staff there. We were translating um, and printing Marvel, DC, and Archie comics in Arabic in the Middle East and North African region, as well as doing our own uh, creation. So how does that work? Because I know in the news this week, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic about um, Freddie Mercury, um, when it opened in China, they'd taken out any reference to homosexuality. So what sort of challenges did you face turning these comics into something that is Muslim friendly? Yeah, we had um, an art department. Their job was to find ways to make sure that our comics were not censored in Saudi Arabia. So uh, the Gulf countries, you know, Kuwait, Qatar, Bahrain, uh, Oman, they're they're like, you know, they, they have satellite TV. <laughs> you know, they are not particularly shocked by anything they have seen in the movies, you know, so we were good to go in most countries. But for our Marvel and DC comics, and oddly enough, for Archie comics, we had some things we really had to watch out for, or else we would have gotten censored in Saudi Arabia, and they would have just put a big black box over, say, Betty or Veronica in a bikini. Yeah. So... What we would do is our art department would put a burkini on Betty and Veronica in order to get the product into Saudi Arabia. So that's basically um, the art department drawing, you know, lines at the ankle and the wrist, and then you color it. It's the same exact shape, but you're you're changing the bikini to a burkini. <laughs> so what did you do at Marvel Comics? What's what's your skill? You you write, obviously. Oh, yeah. I'm an editor. Uh, I, I colored as well at Marvel. I was there for 13 years as an editor and a colorist. Um, and then I, I was the editor-in-chief at uh, Teshkil for the 99 for the Kuwaiti Comic Book Company. And I'm currently an executive editor at DC Comics. Um, we can't really talk about that much or else I have to get someone from publicity over here to say it's okay. So that's my background. So I've when I was a colorist at Marvel, I was uh, freelance working at home. And 
then I would take time off. But once Photoshop changed that that world, I was able to take my laptop with me. When I was in Uganda, I was also doing some coloring. At that point, I was coloring some Disney comics. So I would be sitting in Murchison Falls National Park in this staff housing where we lived, and I would be coloring um, like a Donald Duck comic. Yeah. And then at night, you know, the hippo would come along, go by outside the house. <laughs> have you ever thought of doing your own comic based on your travels? Or I have. I have. I, I would very much like to do that. I am not uh, an artist, so I need to find someone who's willing to get involved in this with me because while I can write this comic in you know three months, an artist would probably have to spend a whole year doing a graphic novel. Like if it was 120 pages, that would take that artist a year. I complain frequently. Like everyone's like, oh, you're like Michael Palin. And I'm like, Michael Palin has an advanced team and a guy with a camera. I'm just me. <laughs> All right. So 2011, obviously you're uh, 2021, sorry. You're not quite sure what you want to do. You, you mentioned you might go south. How do you yeah. get ideas or your inspiration? Well, I, I read a lot. I look at a lot of maps. It's all online now, of course. I, it, it's been an interesting time. I used to use guidebooks. I used to use maps. Um, like like many people, I'm more and more just using Google. So I do a lot of reading things online. And a lot of it is based around what is possible as far as land transport. So for example, I'm in Los Angeles. So if I head south, then I'm going to look up you know, where the roads go and where the buses go and what cities you hit. And what, what you find when you head south is eventually you get to the Darien Gap. So um, that's, that's a tricky part. That's this giant, um, un, no, no giant road, no road through from the very southern part of Panama to Colombia. So you're just kind of stuck. Once upon a time, there were overland trucks and overland groups that would go through there. That ended when, you know, the drug wars were really on. That ended. There are ways to get around it now on a sailboat. So, of course, my trip is going to have to be uh, based around that in the beginning because I'm just, I, I'm going to have to do that. Let's let's face it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the fact that that exists means I have to do it. So I will do that. And then from there, I've not been over to the eastern part, northeastern of South America. So a lot of what's going to happen next depends on what happens in Venezuela. So I may have to go far south and then come back north, right? There's, there's a lot of questions there. I've been lucky. 2001, I was able to go through Sudan and that was hard to give the visa. And I was lucky because it had 9-11 had just happened and I was concerned about not being admitted and you know, and then when I got to Egypt, I couldn't get out on the cargo ship because no cargo ships were going anywhere. It was a really, that was a hard time to be traveling, but I was glad I was not at home. New York, 2011, I made it through Mauritania when it was very hard to get a visa there. Um, you know, some, there's some insurgency uh, out in the desert there and in Mali, you know, so I, I've been very lucky. Um, but I, I don't, I try not to push it too much. Um, I did just go to Haiti in November as a vacation, just holiday from my job. Um, and that was fantastic. Haiti is really a fascinating place and lots of great art, but they also had a, um, national strike <laughs> while I was there and that was unexpected. And, um, I got stuck in, I was in a small town called Jacmel and 
the national strike meant no buses were running, no private cars were able to go anywhere. There was there was just no way back to the capital, which is where my airplane was leaving from. <laughs> and um, after several days of, you know, every morning I would go off to the bus station and I'd be like, how about today? And they were like, no buses today. And then I would go off to the shared taxi station and I'd be like, how about here? And they were like, nope. And the police would always send me back to the hotel. And I'd check back in every morning, you know, go, go out of the hotel, check back into the hotel and hope the next day would work out. And, you know, I have a job. It's not like I could just wait. In the end, I went to the airport, the little, there was like a little local airport at Jacmel. And I asked around and I was able to hire a private plane. <laughs> this was not part of the plan. <laughs> um, and they put a missionary on with me because he was waiting for a ride as well. And he, you know, just part of the the deal, he didn't have to pay for it. But it was something like, I can't remember, it was like something like $260 or something. And it was like a 10 minute flight. Wow. It's a three, three hour ride by bus or share taxi. And it was a 10 minute flight. You know, then I was actually quite glad to be working and have a job because at that point you can take that kind of luxury versus just sitting and waiting and trying again day after day. Can't wait to see what you do in 2021. I can't wait either. Thanks for sharing your story, Marie. A great way to discover the world by thinking outside the square. By the way, my favourite Marvel comic character is Iron Man. Mine would be Storm. Oh, yes. Yep. Yes, I could see that. She can manipulate weather patterns, so she's got to be powerful. Yeah, fair enough. You can find the latest episode through all the popular podcast apps, Phil and Players, but the easiest way to listen to us is to go to worldnomads.com forward slash podcasts. And just before you switch off, can we ask you all a favour, please? Word of mouth is the way that we can get more and more people listening to this podcast, which means we can keep it going. So if you love travel as much as we do and you know someone else who does as well, please tell them about the World Nomads podcast. Next week, we are heading to Zambia. Bye. Amazing nomads. Be inspired.